Hi, my name is Emma Schwartz, and I'm the producer and director for Elon Musk's Crash Course. Elon Musk wanted to revolutionize the auto industry. He created Tesla's brand around autopilot. People are going to assume the car does more than it can. There were crashes taking place while autopilot was in use. Is Tesla an example of scientific integrity and public responsibility? It is not. How much do you push the edge of the envelope? This is Factual America. We're brought to you by Alamo Pictures, an Austin and London-based production company making documentaries about America for international audiences. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood. Each week I watch a hit documentary and then talk with the filmmakers and their subjects. This week it is my pleasure to welcome Emmy-winning journalist and filmmaker Emma Schwartz. Emma is the director and producer of Elon Musk's Crash Course, the latest in a series of films from The New York Times Presents. Based on reporting by New York Times journalists Cade Metz and Neil Boudet, the film zeroes in on Elon Musk, the world's richest person and CEO of Tesla, and his claims about self-driving cars. A New York Times investigation reveals the quixotic nature of Musk's pursuit of self-driving technology and the tragic results. Elon Musk made his name and fortune, taking bold risks and betting on the impossible. But Musk's pursuit of self-driving cars has put him on a crash course with business realities and the limits of technology. Stay tuned as we find out more about what many former Tesla employees have to say about Musk's claims and the culture he has created at the self-described tech company. Is Silicon Valley's era of move fast and break things really over? Emma, welcome to Factual America. How are things with you? Good, how are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. No, things are great, and uh, congratulations. Uh, let's, uh, well, to, our listeners should have already heard it in the intro, but um, we're talking about the film is Elon Musk's Crash Course. Uh, it's the latest from uh, the New York Times Presents series, premiered on FX and Hulu on May 20th. And in terms of our international audience, I think just Google it. I'm sure it will be coming to you sometime in the near future. But congratulations. I imagine you, the uh, New York Times journalists and others, you've had a busy couple of weeks, haven't you? Uh, yeah, you know, it was, uh, it was a good experience very much. And, uh, you know, good to see it out. Yeah. And, and how's the reaction been? Well, it's, it seems like it's gotten a lot of attention, which is... Uh, which is always good and interesting and, you know, for the most part, I think fairly positive. Yeah. Well, I've seen, I mean, even before we knew we were going to get you on, I, I certainly was coming across it uh, on my uh, perusal of social media and el elsewhere. So, uh, so uh, thanks. Uh, thanks again for coming on to the, uh, to the podcast. Um, I mean, why don't you uh, tell us for those who haven't seen it yet, um, what is Elon Musk's crash course all about? Maybe give us a, a synopsis. All right. So the, the film is about, obviously, Elon Musk, but it's about Elon Musk and Tesla's attempt to create a self-driving car, right? This has been you know, a dream in the sort of technology world for a long time. And, you know, this effort comes up against, against literally crashes with the, um, you know, assisted driver system. And so we peel back what we can learn from the first fatal autopilot crash in the United States that killed a man named Josh Brown. And what does that tell us about the promises that Silicon Valley and Elon Musk have sold us? And, you know, ultimately, what is, what is, I mean, how safe are, are these systems that are starting to come onto the road? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, and we'll be talking more about this over the next uh, few minutes, but uh, like you said, I'm, I'm not a big car enthusiast or not even a big Musk follower, but I, it seems to me I've been hearing for ages now that we're just a year or two away from from all being in self-driving cars somehow. So it's, uh, no, I think it's very, uh, it's very interesting. This is building on New York Times investigations that have been done over the last few years. Is that, is that right? Well, you know, there's been reporters of the Times, obviously, who followed Elon Musk and followed Tesla over the yeah. years. And, you know, when I started with the, the group, we were talking about, you know, what should we look into? And there's a lot of interest in, you know, Elon Musk, right? He's in the headlines every day. Some people think he's, you know, sort of going to save humanity. And other people think he's, you know, a con man and trying to figure out, okay, well, how can we, what can we add to this conversation? What can mm. we help people understand about one of the, you know, richest and ultimately in many ways, most influential people on the planet today, right? And um, I, I think we, we didn't really want to look at just sort of a straight biography. And we started looking at, you know, all of the different endeavors that he's taken on. And, and really, the self-driving effort is, is one of the ones that's gotten so much attention and had so many questions that seem to both, you know, affect the public good, but also look at how does mm. this man operate, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, as I started to hone in on that, one of the reporters at the time, Cade Matz, he'd started writing about, you know, this full self-driving and we started to collaborate on, you know, developing sources and, and mm. pushing that story forward and really, you know, taking a long view at, you know, what we had seen as sort of drips and drabs over the years to understand, well, what's happened to those promises we were all hearing, you know, five, 10 years ago that self-driving cars were going to be on the road and that Elon Musk is, you know, even to this day still saying are happening, you know, in the next year. Yeah. And uh, well, so that says a lot of uh, something I'll maybe raise later about the sort of collaborative approach between what you do and then the uh, the actual New York Times journalists, which I find very interesting, even personally. But but what were you what have what are your you know, I mean, I don't want to give away, you know, do spoiler alerts. People should watch the film. But uh, what are your what are the main findings of, you know, in, in terms of the investigations you've done looking at, at this? So, you know, I think. There's findings and then there's still questions, right? And yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that we, we learn is, you know, clearly Elon Musk and Tesla have been over-promising the capabilities of the system. And that, you know, yeah. even as Elon is saying, um, you know, we're we're just going to have, you know, self-driving cars around the corner, there were people inside the autopilot unit who had a lot of questions, both about what was being sold, but even about the basic technology that was being put into these systems, right? Mm -hmm. And that that has been a pattern over many, many years. We also, you know, showed the ways in which government investigators have highlighted some pretty, some pretty key deficiencies in the way that the system has been put together. It allows cars to be used on roads that the technology isn't designed for without restrictions, or at least a, with very few restrictions at first, and even the restrictions that have been put in since haven't met the, um, you know, the, the recommendations of the government investigators. And there's a very weak system of keeping a driver engaged, right? When we mm. get into technology, right? When we start using automated systems, we kind of zone out, right? We forget they're there. We almost think mm. they're better than they can be. And this, you know, when you combine that with a big vehicle driving in a road mm. at a very mm. fast pace can be a really dangerous thing. And, you know, there's decades of research that says you got to keep the people involved. You can't lull mm. them into thinking it's better than it is. And this system, you know, 
didn't keep drivers very active. And even to this day, hasn't met the recommendations of the government, right? And mm. it also tells you, well, the government hasn't been able to force them to do anything either. But that certainly raises a lot of questions about what are the values and the principles of a company that doesn't mm. even respond to government investigators when they're saying, hey, guys, like we've got literally dead bodies here. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe the first, well, there's there's a lot to... Uh... A, a lot to unpick there, but I guess maybe one of the first things is that the uh, driver's assistance system is called autopilot, isn't that right? right? So we have so this what con. Is what is that? You know, I mean, we have this concept of autopilot that I guess literally planes aren't literally flying themselves. There's obviously two pilots in the cockpit, but that that in of itself tells you at least gives the impression that it's. Uh, more than just, uh, you know, that you don't need to have your hands on the wheel and th this sort of thing. Yeah, so, so, so the name is sort of almost like the first question, right? Yeah. And, you know, some people will say, look, the reason why Tesla and Elon wanted to use the, the name autopilot is because technically in a plane, a pilot is supposed to be engaged, right? Mm. Which is technically true, but you have very trained pilots who have to go through training to do this, there's two of them, mm -hmm. right? It's not just you and yeah. me jumping yeah. in a car. And in fact, when this autopilot technology in planes was introduced, there were crashes and there were problems for exactly the same mm -hmm. kinds of reasons that you know we're seeing problems with the advanced driver assistance because the pilots thought, well, oh yeah, the plane can you know move so it can handle itself. Um, but I think when you and me hear the term autopilot, we think like automatic, right? That's how our brains work. Hmm. And that has been something that, you know, people have criticized for many years, but Tesla and Elon have stood behind saying, well, okay, that's not what we mean. But I think we all know language is really important because it affects how we perceive things. And especially because most people, you know, don't go into the fine print. And it's not just the initial package autopilot since 2017, they've been selling a, um, a software called Full Self Driving, right? Like that to me says, okay, this car can drive by itself, right? Pretty much anywhere. That, I think that's what anyone who doesn't know about the technology would think. And by everyone's admission, it's not full self-driving. And so it, it's a not just sort of, okay, there was autopilot, there was a misunderstanding. They made yet another package <laughs> that says it's something it's yeah. not. Yeah, I don't, I'm, and, and I, it's, and I don't want to make light of this either, actually. But the the one thing that it struck me was that this sounds like, I mean, because it's what ten thousand dollars extra to get this full. I mean, unless yeah, you bought you, it on sale, but yes. Yeah, um, but so it's ten thousand dollars extra, and you get the hardware knowing that the software isn't up to speed yet. Is that so? It's the promise that this will eventually work. Exactly, right. exactly. Yeah. I think that's what, you know, Kate sort of said in the film, which I thought really encapsulated yeah. the idea well, is that you're buying a promise. And yeah. look, there's a pattern and a history yeah. that, you know, Tesla had sold ideas. It had sold roadsters before they even built roadsters, right? They only had mm. a prototype. And so there was, there's some conceit that in, in Silicon Valley, these things happen. But, you know, you're selling a little bit, I mean, you're selling a promise that's a long way off. And, you know, I think, the conceit was, okay, the cars have all the technology, the hard technology that we need. But as, as we've seen, they didn't, right? Mm. Because the technology, the cameras, the computer that were in the car at the time that Elon promised that have been changed. 
which, you know, some could say, hey, that's a good thing, right? They're, they're putting in better technology. But it also means that the words that he said at that time ultimately weren't true. You know, whether he knew that would be the case or not at that time is certainly a question. But clearly there were some people at the time who, you know, didn't think it would be. I mean, it does sort of remind me of something that was said about one of our our presidents, uh, but it's almost like he's a Teflon CEO. I mean, he's, it, these, these things don't stick. I mean, obviously, you're, they're investigations, and you've well-documented, and government, uh, um, well, as you, as you said, the NTSB and others have, have, have taken them to task, but it doesn't seem... It, 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 there's something about the Tesla culture of the of the fan base maybe is the best way to put it um or not uh that really just i they see what they want to to see is that is that fair enough way of describing it i mean i don't think you could say every single fan you know doesn't see limits and challenges right when you start talking to people there there is some diversity there but yes there is a a group of very very rabid fans who essentially believe what Elon says, right? Mm. And I think it would be hard to imagine a company and a technology that came about without Elon, in this way, without somebody like Elon, without somebody mm. with this sort of, mm. you know, cult of personality and power to get his message across, you know, directly through social media. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it is pretty remarkable that basic facts seem to be in dispute, right? But that's mm. that's part and parcel of our world today, right? He's not the only uh, one who uh, is out there with a major following in this world um, you know, that can just sort of say things and people believe them, whether or not they're based in fact. Um, you know, you see this right now with like the Twitter debate, right? Or the attempted acquisition of Twitter, right. where, you know, Elon is saying, well, we just need to sort of do a quick sample to see how many bots there are, because I'm worried about the number of bots. And then you know, you look, is that really a statistical sample? And is that even the reason why he really is questioning pulling out, right? But mm. for some people, that's just truth, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it, no, it's an interesting point. I mean, your your film touches, uh, and, it, and, and rightly so, zeroes in on this whole, these claims about self-driving technology and, and, and the unfortunate crashes and deaths that have occurred. But it says a lot says a lot about so many other things uh which i mean there's been other films about silicon valley and uh these sort of things that uh, and you even mentioned them in the film but uh um this whole com- combined with the social media element i think is an interesting probably in, in that way very unique um i mean as you say, it's not just, I mean, it's not just you and uh, working with New York Times journalists, but you do have these former employees who um, you've got uh, quite a few, actually, in the film, uh, who are all in that self, almost all of them were in the self-driving division. I know uh, you also get John McNeil, the former Tesla president, to on camera as well, but these are the, you get the engineers, the designers, I mean, are they... Is this almost career suicide to come out and say some of the things they're saying? Uh, but... Uh, they themselves, and also, there's no, um, how put it, they're very typical, they're very typical engineers and designers, aren't they? I mean, they, they, uh, very, this is the way it should be, and, you know, they're not, they're not the type to throw their hands up and start screaming and shouting about how things have been done, but they do recognize that they've had, they've been uncomfortable with how this has all been rolled out, aren't they? 
Look, I think by nature, like engineers tend to be careful and precise and meticulous personalities, yeah. right? They're, they're putting things together and they have to be really careful. And you sort of see that concern arise when they see a system that doesn't have that logic that they would expect as these yeah. sort of rational, you know, types, right? Um, mm. But you mentioned, okay, was it sort of career suicide? I mean, look, there was many, many more people that I reached out to, that Cade reached out to, that we spoke with, right? Who mm. were not in a position where they felt like they could speak publicly. And mm. I think, you know, having those kinds of conversations with, you know, far more than unfortunately we could get into in the film, I think gave us the confidence to understand that this wasn't just sort of like one bad apple who used to work there who's upset, right? There's a lot right. of people. And there's still some people who have some belief and, and got a lot out of being at Tesla, even if they have concerns, right? right. It's a company right. that's known for hiring lots of young people. And so there is a great benefit when you're coming into you know, an industry to be able to move up the career ladder much faster to have someone who can motivate you to try to choose something you couldn't, right? They still learn things sometimes, but you know, some of them got really, really concerned as you can see with Raven or Akshat. Um, you know, I think the people who were willing to talk were at a place, you know, sort of personally and professionally where they, you know, both felt like it was the right thing to do. In the case of several of them, you know, they've started their own companies. And so they're kind of, risk-taking entrepreneur types themselves who were in more of a position to be open and candid than people who went to work for a competitor, right? Because um, yeah. even if some of the competitors have concerns about the level of the technology, and you obviously take that, you know, with some level of skepticism, mm -hmm. they didn't want to be out there publicly, you know, bashing Elon or Tesla either, right? There's, there's sort of this yeah. quiet murmuring rather than you know there's an occasional burst right but it's not like you know they're they're happy to have their ex tesla employees on staff go out and speak publicly i think this brings us or at least for me brings us to a point where you've we've already mentioned the u.s government's response to us but i, I must have to admit i'm a, I'm a bit uh, a bit confused because you know you've we've got the former ntsb officials uh, former head of the NTSB saying all the right things and, you know, publicly taking uh, Tesla to task for being the one uh, automotive uh, company, at least in the U.S., who's not uh, following the recommendations about self-drive. Uh, but yet we've got this uh, 2020 NHTSA report that seemed to exonerate Tesla. So it's, it's kind of this where, you know, how does that all fit together? You know, part of the challenge here is you have this alphabet soup of government agencies that are involved here, right? Before getting into the details, like NHTSA, the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, they're the regulators. Like these are the guys that have power to actually change things. But in order to change things, they need a lot of evidence and a lot of data. And also, I guess I would say a little bit of sort of confidence, right? And mm -hmm. someone who's got the will to push something. And on the other hand, you have the NTSB, which are these investigators whose primary mission is to figure out, okay, what's the safest thing that you can do? What really happened? But they have no power, right? They can just suggest things. Now, you know, most companies and, you know, most of the time what they suggest is, you know, picked up by companies and by government officials. And, you know, part of what regulators have publicly looked into this was the first time of the Josh Brown investigation. And at the time, there was two things. One, it was the first known fatal crash in the United States. 
And there was some additional data showing that there were other crashes, right? Mm -hmm. Those 38 other crashes, but there wasn't tons and tons of data that would meet the high bar, at least according to the government officials. And also they were rushing to get this done because this was the end of the Obama administration. And I think there was a fear that, you know, when Trump came in, things wouldn't happen and nothing might have come out at all about the Josh Brown crash. All right. I think that takes us to a, a good point here to give our listeners a, a little break. So we'll be right back with Emma Schwartz, director and producer of Elon Musk's Crash Course, latest in New York Times Presents series premiered on FX and Hulu on May 20th. You're listening to Factual America. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Alamo Pictures to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests, and the team behind the production. Now back to Factual America. In terms of taking your eyes off the road, 30 seconds is an eternity. I really feel like we've struck a great balance between improving the safety and improve the usefulness. I remember Elon talked about how it was going to be the radar that was sort of first rank or priority one. We're making much more effective use of radar. I just thought, radar has been around for 75 years. If they could do this now, why didn't they do it before? I think the timing was significant. I mean, it was right after this tragic accident and they were trying to make it sound like we got this under control. Uh, obvious question I have to ask, would the improvements have mitigated or saved, uh, say, Josh Brown's life? We believe it would have. And so the truck uh, would have been seen by the radar only and braking would have been engaged? Um, these, these things cannot be said with absolute certainty, uh, but we believe it is very likely that, yes, it would have. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with award-winning journalist and filmmaker Emma Schwartz, director and producer of Elon Musk's Crash Course. Latest in the New York Times Presents series, it's premiered on FX and Hulu on May 20th. It's already made quite a splash. I'm sure you've, if you've been paying attention to the news, you would have, you've certainly have come across this. Um, I mean, we've been talking about the self-drive technology and what, Elon Musk has said and not said, well, not so much what he's not said, but what he said and the promises he's made. Um, and, you know, how much of this is Musk and how much of this is Silicon Valley? Because, I mean, you reference Theranos and we know about fake it until you make it and move fast and break things. Is this, is this Musk or is this just how Silicon Valley rolls? I mean... I think it's a bit of both, right? Because yeah. clearly there is this sort of fake it till you make it mentality in Silicon Valley. On the other hand, you know, Elon Musk is someone who's made it, right? He's made multiple companies that have sold. He's made cars. He's made rocket ships, not personally, but the companies that he's built. Mm. Um, and I think what's different here is Elon Musk is like a household name, right? He's a man with this huge following. We've talked about that, right? Yeah. But his promises have a different weight than, mm. you know, another founder who's saying it to a venture capitalist to raise money. 
his words resonate with millions of consumers, not just in this country, but around the world. And so when he says something, because he's been successful, right? Step back here for a second. One of the things when we started getting into this film, right, is, you know, Elon is a guy who's defied conventions, right? Mm -hmm. He started a car company when you said, people said, we haven't had a new car company in decades into becoming a successful car company when nobody had a startup car company to, you know, the big leagues, right? He's, you know, helped found a rocket company, right? So he did things that people thought were crazy. And so, you know, when you get into this technology and Tesla and the attempt at creating self-driving car, he's using technology that other people think is, well, not enough to be robust or safe enough. And you have to ask that question, okay, well, does he know something that the rest of us don't because he's defied conventions? And, you know, as sort of we got into it, it's, it was just harder to say, well, oh, okay, maybe he's right again, defying conventions here. Mm. And, you know, he, you, you got to wonder, is, is he someone who's had so many successes that he just assumes the next thing will be a success? Um, whereas we're all prone to having failures even after we succeeded, right? Mm. And I think that can be harder to acknowledge and understand when you've been so successful, right? One of the, the, you know, we went through a lot of archive and there was this line that kept kind of sticking out to me every time I would sort of come back to it on paper or in the timeline. And that was where Elon talks about, you know, sort of wishful thinking and that, you know, even he is sort of falls, falls prey to that, that we all want to believe something's true, even when the facts on the ground sort of make it seem like that's probably not going to be true. And I couldn't help but wonder, you know, is this one of those cases for him? And, you know, how significant that is given his sort of outsized influence on Mm. sort of public opinion. So that's, I mean, I mean, I know you're not, we're not, Trying to, I'm not trying to put words in your, your mouth or or his mouth, but I mean, in, it, there is this dis, you, because, as you said, he's not a he's not just a it's not like he's a bullshit artist. He's he's backed up. You know, he's like you said, he's a, he started up many of these companies. He's he's backed it up. I think, uh, you know, if we're going to compare, it's not it's not like an Elizabeth Holmes Theranos where she flat out knew what she, you know that she was. Well, I guess it's still the case is still well, so going. So here's the thing: we, we don't you know, we don't actually know see, what this- was what he's thinking right so we don't know how much he knows about how good the technology is and we know that there's people who've raised questions about the technology what he said publicly is he certainly believes it right Mm. um but you're at a point right now where you've got to wonder if he how you could not recognize the challenge he's up against and one thing happened you know, recently, and this is sort of a little bit in the weeds here, but he's promised for years that, you know, Teslas are going to be like robo taxis that help make money, right? That you can buy one and make money off your car. I mean, like we think we buy a car, it's like it loses money as soon as you drive it off the lot. Exactly. And he's been like, oh no, it'll turn into a self-driving taxi. And when you're not using it, you can make money. And recently, just this year, he said, well, we might be creating like a separate robo taxi, like something different. And like people in the sort of like Tesla self-driving universe said, oh, wait, is that Elon trying to pivot from this idea that all these cars have the hardware necessary for full self-driving? And Mm. does he realize he needs to try something different? Mm. And, you know, is that sort of his way of spinning that he has a new product rather than admitting that the product that he has out there hasn't met the promises that he said it would have, you know, for years. Mm. So I, 
I really wonder, you know, how much what he what really is going through his head and what those motivations are, right? Um, but you know, so you're saying, okay, no, we can't say he's exactly like Elizabeth Holmes. He hasn't been charged with crimes, convicted of crimes. Like there's a difference on that level from what the government has done and what we know publicly. But I think there are some real questions about, you know, what does he really know about how capable the technology is and how much he's sharing with the public. But I think, I mean, one, one of the many things your film does so, so skillfully, there's that section towards the end, again, spoiler alerts, but where you, uh, you know, you basically say, you know, you pretty much have, I'm, I'm sure it's not every example you could, you could have been the whole film could have just been him saying we're two years away from this technology being, and he's been saying that since what, roughly 2016 or so, uh, or maybe even sooner earlier. So he's an intelligent man. So he knows that if he's been saying it's only two years away and now six, eight years on, it still hasn't happened. He's got to be doubting it. I mean, there has to be some, you know, and as you pointed out, maybe that's the reason for the potentially a pivot, but he's got to realize, you know, that something's not working here. Yeah, he'll, he'll say publicly, right? Like, oh, my timelines are off, but I always believe them when I say them. Um, but I, I guess I, I would have a hard time like saying that with a straight face if that were me, because mm-hmm. I would look back and say, oh, well, I guess I, I was wrong there. And um, you know, maybe I was too ambitious. And he has acknowledged that it's harder than he thought, but yeah. um, he's still out there saying it's happening this year. Yeah, yeah. And what do you think? I mean, because I mean, obviously, your um, background as a journalist, and then obviously a documentary filmmaker, and uh, you're working with the New York Times journalists on this, but. Um, isn't there a little bit of a, you know, there's a, a bit of a media buy-in to all this too, isn't there? I mean, you're doing your part to shine a light, but, um, you know, we've been hearing about, no one, no one cries, no one shouts BS, no one says, you know, it's, it's, it's not just Musk. I mean, others can make announcements and say, well, we're going to do this in a couple of years, and it's almost reported kind of as kind of fait accompli, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's I guess what I'm getting is it's almost gets to this we have this kind of love-hate relationship in our society with technology. We're enamored with it, and it's almost like we want to believe all these things. Yeah, and and look, it, it's complicated, which is what makes it possible, right? You know, yeah. you, you get in a Tesla, and it, like it feels cool, right? Like yeah. it's tech. If you if you're not used to that, like you're like, oh wow, this is neat. Or when you see the car like kind of take over, you might wonder, oh wow, like look what it can do. It can it can drive. But what, you know, even the, you know, engineers who are developing this technology have learned is like, in, just because it can do sort of 80% or 90%, these numbers obviously are guesses, right? Yeah. But just because it looks like it can drive some of the time, doesn't mean it can deal with the complexity of what human driving really is. And so, you know, I think this is one of the sort of challenges of sort of short-term reporting where things happen and you report them. And versus you know, having a longer view, which no longer articles or documentaries are able to have, right? Because you can say, okay, we've seen this over time and it hasn't materialized. And I think that was really at the heart of what we wanted to try to do with this film was sort of step back from the day to day and look at, okay, what have we learned? 
And why does it matter? Hmm. And I think, I mean, I guess one last question I was going to ask about that. I mean, um, do you think these um, not you know do you think these tech achievements are possible without the Elon Musk of the world you know or the um, not to disparage anyone else but like S- Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg these types I mean there's these visionary types who um, who achieve things that, you know like you said previously um, no one thought of you could make a anyone would ever start a new car company and now he's got you know he's become the richest man in the world no one you know do your own space exploration what kind of uh oh we've got richard branson here in the uk but even there that's nothing compared to what what musk is trying to do i mean is it is there something is there something you need to have this kind of i don't know um suspension of disbelief in your own self in order to achieve these kind of or, or would these would these things, uh, would these uh, accomplishments, these innovations, just take longer if it weren't for people like um, Elon Musk? What do you think? I think that's an unanswerable question from any sort of like yeah. obviously quantifiable sense. But I think if you look at self-driving, right? Like obviously nobody has fully achieved it, but there are a lot of other companies out there that are trying and trying lots of yeah. different ways. So to say that you have to always overpromise and not acknowledge the limits. I think wouldn't be fair given that there's other people sort of out there grinding it and looking at it in different ways. Right. And um, it's not to say that there isn't a lot of value in having visionaries who inspire people. Right. You even see with some of the people who worked at Tesla in the film, he inspired people to push themselves beyond where they thought they were capable. And that's, that's an important, powerful driver of, you know, technology and development more broadly, but um, it's really a question of how far do you need to push and are there other ways? Mm. And, you know, some people are more public like Elon. So Mm. that doesn't mean there aren't other people out there doing this kind of work as well. Um, And and speaking of which, I mean, what is the, I mean, I think it gets mentioned towards the end of the film, but uh, realistically, how far away are we? um, Well, Look, I think all the companies that have been involved in this arena have learned that, you know, what they were saying, and it, it wasn't just Elon, Elon, which mm. is sort of the, the biggest, boldest kind of voice out there, yeah. is, you know, it's a lot harder than they were projecting, right? And maybe other companies mm. realized that earlier. Um, you know, some of the challenges is that you're dealing with lots of different technology to figure out how it works. And some of it is that artificial intelligence, you know, has its limits today. Right. What Elon is trying to do is basically say that you can use cameras and artificial intelligence like a human brain and make a self-driving car. The problem is the level of sophistication of artificial intelligence isn't quite like a human brain. And we're still, you know, the projections now is a decade or two decades off. Mm. Right. At least. And I'm just reciting what other people have told me. I know the projections have been wrong in the in the past. So, you know, I'm not holding my breath. I think it was really striking when I saw this and they kind of look like an airplane and you see that. And then you're like, wow, this is an idea that has, you know, long, long legs here. And it could be a long time if ever. And what we are starting to see is sort of discrete attempts and tests in like closed boxes, right? Inside, you know, Phoenix, right? Where there's, there's one operational Mm. where the weather's good and it closes down if the weather's not good and it's flat and you don't go too fast and, 
you know, there's constrained environments where the technology might be making inroads. But the idea that you can just step in a car, it's going to take you where you want to go. And that could be anywhere. That's a long way off at this point, for sure. And as you've said, he's got, you know, he may not have said the words, but uh, he has people asking him questions. Well, how far are we from just being able to get in our car, fall asleep and get to the next destination? And I think he says a couple years away. Um, that was a few years ago. Uh, but, and he's also, I mean, it would, and it's only Tesla that's um, what you've just, des- you've described as, that's looking at as the AI plus cameras. He's he's not using these other technologies that the others are, are saying is almost ha- uh, absolutely necessary for this to be successful. Yeah, no, exactly. And look, there's something to be said for if you're going to be creating something new, you have to believe. Yeah. I, mean, I think one of the uh, Tesla guys, John McNeil, says you have to almost believe in the impossible, right? And there is some truth to that, right? Like you have to believe something's achievable that hasn't been achieved to do something new. But the question is, how do you frame that? And how do you tell the public about mm. that when you're you know, introducing something that you believe will be good, but it isn't there yet? Okay. Um, actually, I wanted to uh, ask you... Um, so this is uh, part of the New York Times Presents series. Um, I mean, how did this, uh, I mean, you've already mentioned how this sort of the project came along. You've gotten involved. You've got a long pedigree, uh, you, certainly with Frontline. Um, um, I mean, is this, uh, for you, is this a, a, is this a longer-term arrangement? And are we going to see more things like this um, coming from, um, I mean, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what New York Times Presents has been doing and, and is is doing and what's the vision behind behind the series? I mean, I think that the goal is to try to tell, you know, important stories with journalistic rigor in a documentary format, right? And yeah. you know, a lot of times when you're putting together a film, you really want to build out characters and have people. And that's oftentimes a slightly different kind of storytelling than you might mm. have in like a news article. And um, so I think there, there's been a lot of emphasis to try to sort of figure out how can we, you know, look at people that help us bring about, you know, some of these mm. bigger journalistic questions. Um, so, you know, that, that I think is, you know, one of the key goals, especially as sort of we're moving into this environment where that differentiation between what is radio, what is TV, what yeah. is print, right? Yeah. It, it doesn't exist the way it yeah. used to. Um, it's all about how do you consume information and, you know, what are the different formats and what is the best way to tell different stories? And I guess with the use, use of documentary film and things you can bring to life that you wouldn't be able to in print or online, you know, things. And I thought it was very useful, you know, um, bringing uh, Josh Brown's friends on camera and to talk about that. And that gave it a certain human element that maybe gets, that does get lost, um, not intentionally, but just the by the nature of the, of the, of the media, uh, when it medium in terms of, uh, print, um, you know, or, or a typical news newspaper article, even one that's more than a, a few hundred words. Um, but, uh, um, so that's, um, I mean, is this, uh, I mean, I'm, what I also found interesting is this whole collaborative approach. You get so, so cause it, obviously there's been articles, pieces written and people have taken that and that's been the basis for a, um, for a uh, a doc or even a short, but this is this this sounds like this was something from the beginning, which was a little bit more um, um, uh, collaborative. That uh, it wasn't just purely based on an article, or you you were able to 
um, you both were trying to, like you said, tell a story around or how do, what what is an what is something about Elon Musk uh, that we need to look at in a little more focused and um, and is that something that that is that's the vision for 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 uh, the New York Times presents is to 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 sort of this collaborative approach to to um, um, journalism really. Yeah, I mean, every every project's going to be a little bit different here, but this is yeah. sort of, I think, a story that was sort of kind of sitting there, if that makes sense. And yeah. you're starting to sort of, you know, feel like it, it needed to be told. And there were different, you know, ways to sort of bring that about. And, you know, we worked together to do that. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for doing that. Uh, it's very much appreciated. It's a I, if people haven't checked it out yet, I definitely highly recommend. It's uh, it's very sh- it's a snappy documentary. It's only an hour and fourteen um, minutes, so that's uh, uh, and packs a, a a lot in there, and uh, and very very insightful and very uh, very very thought provoking. So thank you again for for making that. So just remind everyone we've been talking with emma schwartz uh director and producer of elon musk's crash course uh it's the latest in the new york times Presents series and it premiered on fx and hulu on may 20th and will um, surely be uh, out on some sort of international distribution in not uh in the not too distant future i'm sure so thanks again emma very very much appreciated having you on the on the podcast thanks so much for your interest um and uh, appreciate it one of the huge challenges of the system at the time was trying to differentiate between a truck and a, and a bridge, an overhead bridge. You know, when a truck is parked perpendicular to the road and blocking the way, the system might think of it as an overhead bridge, and so it was safe to kind of continue driving through it. So just want to give a big thank you to Emma Schwartz, uh, director and producer of Elon Musk's Crash Course, latest in the New York Times Presents series, uh, premiered on FX and Hulu in the U.S. on May 20th, and be on the lookout for it uh, internationally. I'm sure it'll be uh, out there sometime soon. And would love to have uh, Emma on again sometime with uh, one of her next projects. I'd like to give a shout-out to Sam and Joe Graves at Intersound Audio in Eskrick, England, in deepest, darkest Yorkshire. A big thanks to Nevin Apanovich, podcast manager at Alamo Pictures, who ensures we continue getting great guests onto the show. And finally, a big thanks to our listeners. As always, we love to hear from you, so please keep sending us feedback and episode ideas. You can reach out to us on YouTube, social media, or directly by going to our website, www.factualamerica.com and clicking on the Get In Touch link. And as always, please remember to like us and share us with your friends and family wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Almo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.